0: Every family, I have to remind them in my talk and introduction to them, make sure you eat, make sure you get hydrated, make sure you sleep. And when you have a chance, you have to break away from this inpatient hospice because it is a, the journey is very emotionally taxing.
1: time with Melissa we have a great conversation that's coming before you today with Chaplain Horace Cutter he has been a chaplain for quite some time now and and is going to share with you some of his experiences as he helps to support families and individuals um, during grief as well as during the hospice Um, so sit back enjoy your cup of tea and be ready to get some valuable information on how to navigate during a difficult time of grieving the loss of a loved one. Here we go. Welcome. This is Tea Time with Melissa, Living Whole. And I am so delighted to have my next special guest on tonight, uh, Chaplain Horace Cutter. He is giving us some great information, I'm sure, regarding um, grief and going through the grieving process and how it is a journey for each and every one of us. So let me just tell you a little bit about Chaplain Horace Cutter. He is, as I said, a chaplain. He graduated uh, from the Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, Horace has been serving as a chaplain since 2007. And um, when he obtained his training in clinical pastoral education from the Care and Counseling Center of Georgia. And many, many more accolades and and credentials he has. He is board certified pastoral counselor. He is board certified clinical chaplain as well. And um, I'm going to let Chaplain Cutter tell you a little bit more about himself in his introduction. He is a husband. Um, Shabana Cutter is his wife, he has Um, what he calls a blended family, um, all adult children, so that's got to be fun, Um, but um, I'm going to um, let Chaplain Horace Cutter Um, come on and introduce himself. Thank you so much, Horace, for being on Tea Time with Melissa to help us through.
0: um, Hey, Melissa. It's good to be here with you. I'm glad to uh, be able to discuss uh, something I have chosen to uh, be able to support people in many uh, different ways.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much. And I'm I'm just going to ask you this. You know, uh, Grieving is already hard for an individual you know at some point all of us, if we haven't experienced the loss of a loved one, we will um either directly or indirectly uh connected to us but it is a difficult journey it is to take. it is. Why did you select this career?
0: <laughs> That's the wrong question to ask me. <laughs> I I joke with my friends and sometimes um patients and families when I'm talking to them and I would tell them that God tricked me into this position.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm sure you're going to laugh. The reason on that. I
0: say that was when I was um in ministry and For years, I've heard the uh, statement from other ministers that they hated doing um, uh, hospital visits. And um, because it's very hard to do hospital visits and get through your day, because it's really tough to see your members in the hospital. And so um, Mm -hmm. when I graduated from seminary, I uh, decided to sign up for chaplain school to be able to be more comfortable in the hospital setting. So I wanted to be More familiar with it. And so when I signed up with them, I went in, I did an internship, which is about a month and a half long. Um, And this is full time, did an internship. And after the end of the internship was coming up, they had a position that came open. Well, another uh, person dropped out of the uh, program. And when they dropped out of the program, my supervisor came to me and said, Hey, I. Heard you say something about you'd like to see how you can do more of this chaplaincy stuff. And you said, she said, you want to do more of this? And I said, yeah, sure. And she said, well, we have a residency that's coming open and it's going to go forward. You know, it's going to start. Um, it's coming open. We have somebody that dropped out. And so I said, okay, a residency now. I, I mean, I, I'm going to be looking for a job pretty soon. She said, well, listen, hold on. You'll get paid in the residency. And I said, hmm, okay. Keep on talking. <laughs> so then when she said, oh, yeah, you get paid, whatnot, and you just have to go there and you're the chaplain there, and we can send you all the information. And I said, okay, sign me up. I did not know when they told me when um, they got ready to tell me where to show up at. They said, we want you to show up at Trinity uh, Tranquility Hospice in Cobb County. And I said, Tranquility what? <laughs> 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 so that was uh, how I was tricked into the, um hospice chaplaincy and I um even with along with that very um oh my oh my, my goodness it was incredibly um uh, how I how much I learned working with Wellstar Hospital and as mm-hmm. I went there to work I was also slated um uh, was a once a week we had to do a we had to do a overnight on call for the whole hospital system. So, you know, Wellstar had five hospitals at that time, and they were all spread out. So, any one of those hospitals could call you or the hospice could call you at any time at night. And so, um, I definitely got, I definitely I went, ministered, and it was a great experience. I learned a lot. Um, uh, Some of my, you know, good understanding about um, hospital visits and the difference between hospital and hospice. I learned it right there and working for Wellstar. So um, it was great. So that's why I always have my funny story about God tricking me into hospice chaplaincy. And I always end by saying who, you know, who better to trick you than your best friend. So <laughs> it knows exactly what I needed, what I wanted, where I was fit. And so I landed there, and if, if I had gotten a dream at night to go sign up for hospice chaplaincy, I'd probably still trying to be trying to figure out to do something else. So um, um, God always knows, and he got me in there, and I'm still there doing hospice chaplaincy, and I have led several groups and grief groups, um, did hospital visits. I've been called specialized to go meet with groups, even with a uh, um, um Groups down in Noonan area, and I spoke to a um the uh Business board about a business board that all the different businesses come together and i I led a group on um being able to um tend to hospice patients and the your grieving love looking out for your grieving loved ones so I've been uh utilizing okay. and worked with a lot of different people in different ways to be able to understand more about, um, not only about um, the, the challenges of death and dying, but also the challenges mm-hmm. of, of bereavement and being able to understand what bereavement and loss looks like and how that impacts mm-hmm. our society, which, is, which I believe it Absolutely. does. I would say seven out of 10 people are um, reeling and rocking from um, bereavement, unresolved un, um, grief and um, on different levels, I would say that.
1: Okay. Okay. That's, that's very interesting. And actually um, I wanted to talk about some of the challenges that you find um, some of the families that you help and support, you know, what are some of the greatest challenges that you've seen um, as families and loved ones are forced into or forced, I should say, onto that journey of grieving the loss. Of a woman. Well,
0: well, my first take, and and I guess my first thing to say about persons um, facing that decision and in going into hospice, I, I I think we have to really help our families to know that it's okay to let somebody help you. Just about every family that I meet, they feel guilty in having not been able to continue to take care of their loved one. And they feel guilty about having to bring them to us to care for them. And they wanted to keep them at home, you know, mothers, wives and husbands. They wanted, they, I'm going to take care of you until the day you die and everything. And people taking care of their mothers and fathers. And, you know, that's a great promise. But I always have to reiterate to them what the word, you know, what the Lord has uh given to us in the word that you're a part of a family and that family is supposed to be utilized as a family of Christ and to be able to turn to those who specialize in that type of care so that you can get help. Um, Many times people don't get any rest or sleep. They don't eat. And those are some things, big things that I've run to just about every family. I have to remind them in my talk and introduction to them, make sure you eat. Make sure you get hydrated. Make sure you sleep. And when you have a chance, you have to break away from this inpatient hospice because it is a the journey is very emotionally taxing. And a person can. They can deteriorate themselves in looking out for somebody else. So, in being able to bring them in to an inpatient hospice or to have us come and visit them at home, it takes a big weight off of their shoulders. Many times, um, as we're looking out for them, but so that is the biggest challenges that I see uh, our loved ones. Our, our kind of society kind of looks at, well, you need to look out for your loved one. And my my thing is, we're supposed to we're supposed to help each other out. And we're supposed to be able to resource the best resources for our loved ones to be taken care of. And that's my take. Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Utilizing the resources that our community has available to us in those times. Yeah, those challenging, already difficult times. And so um, as you are aware, I've, I've done a little bit of work in grief counseling as well. And I understand how... Um, important it is for individuals who are grieving the loss of a loved one is to ask for the help that they need. So I could see how that could be difficult um, when them wanting to step out on that um, sort of step out there and in that vulnerable place. um, And yeah, a lot of times they need. So mm -hmm, wonderful, mm -hmm. wonderful.
0: Yeah, a lot of times people are already anticipating their grief. So their grief journey starts before the person passes so they have anticipatory grief and Mm -hmm. they don't know that they're experiencing that anticipation of the grief and a lot of times you know this is so old saying the anticipation of something is worse than having it happen you know in actually happen and so they're anticipating Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. along with all the decisions all the medical decisions financial social all of the documents that have to be gathered and all the resources that have to be brought together and they are just worn out so sometimes families go in as teams to be able to figure out who's going to take care of what part of their loved ones um, estates and planning and everything and and they work out well but mm-hmm. for us to be able to step in we I like to let them let them know now you can be the daughter and we can be the caregiver and that that helps mm-hmm. them to know mm-hmm. that their loved one is going to be looked out for as they journey, walk the journey yeah. with us. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And care for. So that 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 there's a need it there is. for trust. Definitely. Um, you know, because you're asking you're asking them to put their loved ones in the hands of people That's right. that they don't really know. So, yeah, you're, you're going to need to build that trust. Okay. So let me ask you this, Chaplain Clutter, What does supporting a family or someone um, in hospice or in the grieving process, what does that look like for you?
0: Well, for me, it starts off with a relationship. And just like you was just talking about building trust. So my first conversation, is, is it's an assessment of the patient and the family. And of course, it's a spiritual assessment to see where at. I'm in the chaplain. So I do the spiritual emotional assessment. And that assessment is looking at what type of um, support do they have around them, the spiritual emotional support. Um, it also looks at uh, are they connected with their faith in some type of way and what that looks like. And one part of that faith challenge is are they supported by their faith or is their faith bringing stress in their, into their lives? And sometimes when, stre- when their faith is bringing stress into their lives, they will be some- They sometimes even don't want to see the chaplain because they feel like God is upset with them. So that is a part of that assessment. And many times when I walk in, persons kind of expect me to just walk in and pray with them and introduce myself, pray with them. But no, I get a- in a conversation with them to help them to know something about me. And I want them, I want to know something about the patient that I'm going to be praying for, looking out for, coming in to visit. And getting to know them is the, my key um aspect of that assessment is getting to know my patient so that I can know who I'm serving and how to best serve that person. I kind of look at it the way um it is important for us to understand in order to love a person, you have to know the person. And that's the way I look at it. You know, Mm what Jesus says, Mm -hmm. come unto me all you that labor and every laden. And he says, take my yoke upon me and learn of me. And so that's what I take that into Mm -hmm. my mind to be able to say, and how can I serve this person? How can I love on this person if I don't know this person? And of course, on your assessment, it has all these labels of, whether you're Buddhist or Christian, and all different types—white, black—or whether you grew up early, or you're an older person or younger person, and what economic status—all of those things are great, but it tells me nothing about that particular person in their personality. And so that's why I'm—that's what I'm—that's the person mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I am looking to serve. And so that's why I get um, my assessment is building a trust and a connection with that patient so that I can serve them uh, as on, on this journey of, of um, for the, the door into eternity.
1: Okay. Okay. That sounds good. Sounds good. And we're going to um, dig a little deeper into that because I would like to know more a little more mm-hmm. clearly for the listeners what your philosophy is when it comes to um the hospice uh grieving process like you said um if it's the case you know individuals not always are going to have that opportunity to mm. grieve prior to um the loss of a loved one but in the case mm. of hospice they do so What what is your philosophy around um, just chaplaincy, the work that you do um, and those two different scenarios where someone has the opportunity Mm -hmm. to start their grieving journey prior Mm -hmm. to the loss of a loved one and then coming into where a family has tragically quickly without any, um, any warning. You know, in, not mm-hmm. without any warning yeah. or anything. Right. Um, and then they've lost a loved one. So how how would you approach um, those two scenarios? Um, would it be the same way or? Are, well, are of course,
0: um, is it, people are still asking me and I'm still trying to figure out which is easier. And I don't th- I just don't think that death is easy on any level. Um, many times I hear people, and and I do, I do. Man, matter of fact, persons that I went to minister to right now have lost their loved ones just in an accident, and that's it. Never got to say bye or anything.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I think mm-hmm. the whole process is built on this relationship, and that's that's where I lay my head at. And just mm-hmm. in a simple form, we lay my head at. I want to open the door for them to be able to feel free to talk to me. Now I will say, give you a funny story. And it kind of relates to this. Um, when I was working at Atlanta Medical mm-hmm. Center and I was an intern there and um, I got a call and I was supposed to, as a, every chaplain that carried the beeper had to call, have the trauma call uh, beeper on them. And so we got a trauma call that was coming in and I went to, talked to the um, ED department and they told the chaplain to go meet this young man's girlfriend or, And I see you before he went to, uh, as he went into surgery. So I went up there to meet her and I walked off and of course I'm the chaplain and I always used to dress in my black suit. So I would dress up, get dressed to the nines and I would come up and I would <laughs> As soon as I stepped off the elevator I saw the young lady and I knew it was her by the way she looked at me and she ran the other direction she ran away she said I don't want to talk to you no 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 I don't want to talk to you and I said why she said because you have something bad to tell me and so since that day I have re-evaluated the way I meet people how I dress what I talk about, how I connect with them. Mm-hmm. And one thing I try to do is to make open the door for people by not dressing so business-like. I don't even put a suit on anymore because I want them to feel like they're talking to a friend.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, many times when I meet people, they they tell they, they will talk to me about things that they would never talk to their pastor about. And I, I'm the Sometimes the reason is because they feel like they have to be uh, put this quote unquote a good Christian. So they can't complain about life. They can't talk mm-hmm. about the issues that they're challenged with. And that puts them in a position to um, to repress their feelings when I'm there to visit with them. And it, it just uh, conti- continue to uh, uh, Take away from the reason that I'm actually there for. So I'm there for them to be able to talk about their challenges. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they don't, if if that preacher, pastor is in their mind, they, they'll hold it back. Um, and of course, I know I'm representing God. They know that I'm representing God. But I want to take that, that um, smoke screen away so they can be able to talk to a friend. And then we can get to what their actual issue is that they wanna talk about. So it helps a lot of times that's my kind of philosophy to be able to move the smoke screen out of the way and for them to be able to sit down and talk with a friend about what the challenges of life are. And that's for the actual um, person that is facing death. Now the family that's facing this time of bereavement and they're looking at it, I always face that with opening the door for them and keeping the communication line open for them to be able to share. And I always tell them they can call me anytime day or night. I'm a 24-hour minister. So they can call me anytime to be able to sit down and talk about what they're going to be facing, the challenges, you know, all to be able to process through what is happening in their lives. And so that's one thing I try to do is to make them feel comfortable enough to be able to share. And I try to not be non-judgmental when I share. So many times people kind of expect what a chaplain to come in and talk about. Or do you know these verses of scripture or, Do you go to church, you know, so many times a week or Mm -hmm. how connected are you with with God and whatnot? And Mm -hmm. that's why when I first walk in, I begin asking them the question, where did you grow up? Do you live around this area? And so it just it just brings down the defense Mm -hmm. mechanism so that they can be able to, Mm -hmm. like I used to say, answer questions that they already know the answers to. So they can talk about their family. They can talk about their okay. friends. They can talk about their life and the things that they like and don't like. It's funny when I ask mm-hmm. them, and they I ask them, what did they like mm-hmm. to do, or what did this person like to do during their life, favorite activity, and they'll say, uh, uh, she, well, she liked to go to gambling, <laughs> <laughs> and they'll say it really. <laughs> they'll be scared to tell the chaplain that, right,
1: <laughs> and I'm right, like, it that's right. well, okay.
0: Well, that's what people do, <laughs> <Okay>. you know. <laughs> So, so I'm trying to open them up to be able to be free to talk about their life because that's what I'm looking to do. Um, because years ago, this beginning the the kind of progenitor of um, the clinical pastor education movement, uh, Anton Boyson, he had this statement that he wanted to read the human document, the human living document. And that's what I do. I actually go in to read the human living document to do my interpretation of them to be able to know how to serve them. Just like we read scripture, we do an interpretation of scripture. I want to do that with every person that I meet that I'm serving to be able to know them better, be able to serve them, that person, in a way that they can be served. And each, each sometimes even each individually family family members that are approaching this whole thing in a different perspectives. So that's an important thing to me. That's part of my philosophy.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. Chaplain Cutter. Hello. Hey there. We are back with Chaplain Horace Cutter. And we he has given us some dynamic information regarding the whole um, I, I would like to say, um, maybe debunking some mindsets or some thoughts that one would have about um hospice, the chaplaincy, and all of that whole process. Um, so oh, wow. I I appreciate that and and the um, in-depth information that you're giving us around how it should all look for um, for families and loved ones who are grieving the loss of a loved one. So we're going to mm-hmm. jump right back in. Thank you so much for pausing with us. What are some practical ways one could begin the grieving process?
0: Um, in the grieving process? Well, mm-hmm. some of the practical things are to remember um, For personal um, information, is to make sure that you attend to your grief. And what I mean by is that uh, most people believe that I can get busy and work through my grief by being busy. Mm -hmm. And I have met too many people that could not do that. So what they do is they get busy until their grief wears on them to the point that it begins to show outwardly in the behavior responses. And so what I try to teach them is um, some coping mechanisms where they can actually um, actually do things that they enjoy in order to work through their grief and they won't have these behavior responses. And the, the coping mechanisms may be about like uh, putting together a picture book of their loved one or mm-hmm. to be able to, it's always doing something with your hands, practical or walking Uh, praying is a good thing if you're actually involved in actually talking to God. Um, Being able to go get involved in a Bible study that involves grieving. Uh, Not just an overall generic Bible study, but one that's focused on grief. Um, They also can um, put together um, um, uh, what we call, one lady I know did a shadow box of her husband's um, momentums. And she put all of these items in there for certain sentimental reasons and put it together. And so, so different persons can do different things. Usually a coping mechanism they can use is healthy to themselves, something they like to do. Maybe exercise or, or riding a bike or doing something that's healthy as opposed to just regular behavior responses where they're reeling and rocking and turn to usually un, uh, destructive um, activities, uh, unhealthy activities that will not profit the body or their mind or the soul in the long run. So that's one thing that they need to do is to attend to their grief. And, and always talking to a grief counselor is something that's important. I know, I know a lot of people have like problems because they feel like, well, if I talk to somebody about this, what am I going to just talk about and complain about and No, the person will help you to work through your issues because most people have repressed, like I said before, repressed and it comes back out flourishing up in anger or guilt. And so that's one thing that it's important to be able to connect with others, to be able to connect with your loved ones, to be able to Talk to those that can help you through the grieving process because uh, you're not going to go around it or under it. Nobody's going to keep you from it. The grieving process is going to happen. It's just, um, uh, this is just a matter of how you are going to face grief. Um, Will you let it take over your life or will you actually face it and go through it? And that's an important thing. That's, that will be the first thing I would say for a person that's grieving. I guess the second thing I would say in uh, relation to other people, <clears throat> a person that is that knows a friend that is grieving, to be able to give them space, to be able to talk about their loved one, to be able to talk about their grief with a non-judgmental presence, and also to be able to give them the the latitude to say whatever they would like to say and not shut them down. Most of the times people, good friends would tell each other, oh, you can't talk about that in that way. And so that person shuts down. So mm-hmm. they are afraid to voice those mm-hmm. um, feelings anymore. And that begins to turn inward and they begin to suppress that feeling. So if they can talk, find somebody that they can actually talk to it will help them to be able to process through grief. And I always said my grief groups, you know, we want to we got microwaves that we love to have and we use the microwaves to cook up uh, a meal right quick. You can do it these days, but we are still just convection ovens. <laughs> we are mm-hmm. conventional mm-hmm. ovens. And we cannot process through grief like like in a microwave type way. No matter how we look at it. We are human being is still a complex uh, organism, and it has to be able to allow the different areas—the mind, body, and soul—to be able to um, reflect on the grief, understand where you're at, and it talks. It includes the um, that includes the area of being able to um, have this uh, deal with the attraction. It, um, um, theories of attachment, and then we also have to be able to know that our mind, body, and soul have to come back to some place of balance, what they call homostasis. We have to come to a place of balance, and that is where our mind, body, and soul can understand what has happened and how I will move forward in life relating to that person in a different way. So that is um, the big things about grieving that a person has to deal with no matter how the person passed away. Now, of course, a mm-hmm. person that passed um, initially without any um, goodbyes in an a, uh, accident for that loved ones of that person, they have to seek some form of support and help. If their person, if they lost their person in, in a tragic incident or traumatizing way, they need to find support to be able to talk about what they went through. Um, because usually, in most cases, I would say ninety-nine out of a hundred cases, they have some issues with that person's passing that they need to mm-hmm. process through. And I would say that it's less more. It's less. Um, the, 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 the percentage would be less for a person that has somebody in hospice or a, at home hospice because they had time to be able to process through. It just matters what the relationship was like. Right. So if right. they had a good relationship with the person, if they really talk about grieving and being able to know what life is going to look like after this person passes away, then they can deal with it better. If they, sometimes persons don't want to even talk about it. They want a chaplain to come in they said, don't mention hospice. Don't talk about it. Don't tell mom she's dying. And I tell them, listen, if she's 99 years old, she already knows that. You're not mm-hmm. going to hide that from her. She's way smarter than what you think she is. <laughs> and so I let them know, you know, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to do what you want to do. But I'm just letting you know, you're not talking about anything that she don't know, doesn't know that's already happening. And so... Um, that's sometimes where in our society, we kind of just kind of try to, um, put death and grief. We try to put it under the rug and not deal Mm -hmm. with it. And so that's the sad thing about our society is that we don't, um, bring children into the hospice room or we don't take children to the funeral. And because Mm -hmm. we think we're keeping them, um, protecting them from, the, a bad memory of their loved one laying in the casket, but we're actually we're setting them up for unresolved grief later in life um and so mm-hmm. that's one thing I think um a person is traumatized by they're traumatized by things that are outside of their box if events in their life are outside of their box, like I think of the brain as little um you know, like a, uh, um, a what do we call it, a cabinet. And you have all of these drawers you pull mm-hmm. out and you're able yeah. to label and categorize everything. Mm-hmm. But something that's outside of that box, it cannot be categorized. But when you add, when you're helping the person to add more labels, You're able to add more categories, put more drawers there and being able to label more things so that they can process through those things. They'll be able to face trauma in a better way. Now, they they will face stuff that's outside of the box, but they'll be able to label it and categorize it in their mind better than if they had no reference point for it at all. So that's um, what's very important for um, young people, old people. uh, I've run into a lot of families. Oh, we're not going to bring them here. And I say, well, you might want to consider that. Um, Or if you have a son that men are really babies, they don't want to come to see their loved ones in the hospice. And I say, it might be a good thing to come here to see them so that you'll be able to deal with the rest of your life better. Because they need some way to be able to categorize this traumatic event in their minds
1: yeah and that makes that makes perfect sense Mm -hmm. but you're absolutely right i don't think that we think about that at all um and as a parent yeah that would be my first thought would be you know don't take the children To the funeral, or don't, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't want to take them in the hospital room Mm -hmm. where, you know, grandpa is having um, his last moments, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, But you're absolutely right. Then that sets them up for having some unresolved. yeah, issues that they are dealing with on top of the grieving exactly. of, of their loved one no longer being there. Exactly. So absolutely, great idea. I am going to, as we wind this down a little bit more, I'm going to give you space to provide um, any resources that you may have come across in your years of working in this area. Um, anything that could be helpful for an individual who might want to help a family member or them themselves you know, going through grief. Um, Any resources that you that you'd like to share at this time before I I give you wind this interview down?
0: Okay. well, we can wind. I got all the time in the world. So we wind up when you're ready. But um, uh, I would say one thing about um, being under hospice care. And I face this all the time. It really gets under my skin that families are given a hospice that they have to choose. And that is a that is a huge misconception in the hospital room and understanding hospice is that you can choose a hospice that of your choice. It doesn't matter who the hospital gives brings in or who they send into the room. Many times they say Mm -hmm. the doctor will say, oh, we need to send your loved one to hospice. And then the next person that comes in is the hospice of that hospital's choice. You don't have to choose that hospice. You can choose anybody you want to. You can go out and do a research of hospices in the area, and you can find out who you want to to take care of your loved one. Uh, that is a huge thing that I see all the time, and many times um, uh, the hospital wants to get the person out of the hospital because one thing they want them they want they don't want this person to die in the hospital because if raises their mortality rate in the hospital. So what they want to do is they want to make sure that this person finds a place that a hospice when they want to go to. So they con- they already have contracts with hospices that they've been introduced to. But you can choose anybody you want to to take care of your loved one in hospice care. Now, that's a, that's a huge biggest thing I, I always want to tell people. Um, you can choose who you want. Um, and I think that, um, it's important for when they get ready to go into hospice, when they come to hospice, that you go and meet the persons, that you go meet the staff, you go talk to the, uh, director of nursing or the director of the clinical director. Be able to go and converse with them and see how do they take care of, um, their patients. And that is a big way to be able to understand, um, what type of care you're gonna get. If you get sloppy care on the beginning, you're gonna have sloppy care all the way through. Um, of course, anybody can make a mistake, but you don't wanna start out with a person that is that begins with, um, we don't know how to take care of your loved one, and they're showing that in their actions. So that's one thing I always kind of put up front for persons that are even in the hospital and they're considering. it. I say, go visit some hospices look them up and then go visit them uh, and see if you would um, want your loved one to be in that place. And if they give you a bad vibe, you have to think about some other options, ask some more questions. Don't forget to ask many, many questions. And I would say ask Mm -hmm. a lot of questions that would, would uh, actually rub their, push their buttons to see how they react to you. Um, Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. also, um, Resources. Now I have like a, oh my goodness, a plethora of resources. If anybody sent me an email and asked for resources on grieving, death, and dying, I mean, um, they could definitely get some resources um, or, um, let me see, resources that I have used in order to uh, support families. Now there is one resource that we use. And most people that come into hospice, most hospices use it. It's, um, it. It says, Midwife of Souls. It's a book called Midwife of Souls. And it's by Miss Kalina. Uh, I think it's Kathy Kalina. I have to look up the name. But um, that is a great book to be able, because this is a, a nurse that served in hospice. And she was also a spiritual caregiver who gives you all the signs, the physical signs and symptoms, be able to face understanding how the person is going to, um, the process and through spiritually and understanding life as it is. And that's a very important process for a person to be able to use in that case. Um, It's called Midwife for Souls and the name is Kathy Kalinas, K A L I N A.
1: Okay, and you talked about if um, a listener wanted to reach out to you directly via your email, you want to go ahead and give your email?
0: Yes, as well. it will be hcutter at swchristiancare.org. And of course, I could, I have all types of resources, all types of um, suggestions for resources in different areas, and it would be different for a family member who's looking for a hospice to place their loved one in, or looking to take care of their loved one that is on um, has a terminal illness. It would be different for a person that's a minister who's going to serve a family that needs to be able to serve a family that has a terminal illness patient or a minister that is going to serve a family that has lost a family member in a tragic accident or uh, like you was asking before, uh, 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 a loss, Mm -hmm. immediate loss that with no uh, warning, yes. So it will be different types of resources with different types of um, situations and
1: Mm-hmm. Right. So and you would make that determination based on what the individual says in the email. That email address you said is hcutter at dot. That's right. That's it. Correct. OK. Wonderful. My last question to mm-hmm. you is, of course, um, Living Whole Tea Time with Melissa is all about providing encouragement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the world that we live in, there are so many um, things that people are witnessing and seeing on TV, and it seems like it's been very um, much publicized over the last couple of weeks, um, and that, but that's another podcast for another mm-hmm. day. It's definitely coming up. <laughs> Um, But I just wanted to give you an opportunity to, if you had to encourage someone today, um, it could be directly related to hospice grieving or, you know, whatever. Since you have such a background in this area of counseling, um, what, how would you encourage someone? What would that one thing be that you would use to encourage someone today?
0: I would, um, I would remind people to be able to turn to your faith. Um, It is very important for persons that have a faith to actually use it to live. And many times we have people that have a faith, they go to church and whatnot, they claim to be Christian, but they don't actually use their faith practically in life. And many times, um, I mean, yeah, Oh, many A lot of times, I talked to persons that are, I ask them questions about using their faith, and they don't know what I'm talking about. Now, you know, so you have to be able to open the Bible and read what God's promises are to us. Now, there are some other practical techniques and things that we can do to be able to support ourselves and one another. I think that those some of those things are being able to put margin in your day to be able to give your space. Give yourself space Mm -hmm. from one event to the next event. Be able to process through life and be able Mm -hmm. to understand what life is all about. So that is a key thing. Understand, put margin in your life. Be able to value your relationships and use your faith practically. Many times we have verses, all in memory verses that we learn as little kids in kindergarten. And those verses are very valuable in being able to utilize them in life. Um, so I see many times that I'm turning these same verses over to be able to help loved ones to be able to get through a tragedy or to face a challenge or to be able to get through issues that are that are challenging between relationships with um, uh, family members or friends. And so those things are very important in, um, for us us to understand what our life is supposed to be like. And nobody can tell you until you actually relate to God to be informed by what your life is supposed to look like. I mean, it'd be great to go to somebody and you read it out of a book and see, oh, this is what my life's supposed to be like. But you're not gonna get that unless you read scripture, value your relationships, and understand what is God telling you in, in, in times of prayer. And those things are so very important if that's if that's if I had one thing to tell a person, that would be what I would tell them to do I guess I'm telling you three things, <laughs> but those things are important <laughs> to be able to make a functional life because you've got to make life livable yeah. and many times people yes, yeah many absolutely. times people live life and they're skating across um very shallow you know you probably heard that that's uh, yeah. statement an inch. uh, inch uh, deep but a mile Mm -hmm. wide and that's many times what our lives look Mm -hmm. like and it should be the other way around
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely well this has been awesome Thank you so much again for joining me, Chaplain Cutter, on uh, Living Whole Tea Time with Melissa. I do hope and pray that our listeners, those individuals who are listening, whether they are in the faith or not, I believe that they could get some really good information out of uh, this podcast and being able to move forward if and when they are faced with the challenges that come along with hospice and grieving. So thank you so much. I uh, thank and I hope that you uh, thank
0: you time. very much for this interview. Call me back anytime.
1: Thank you. Bye bye. You're welcome.